The worst part, I think, of me being in the hospital that week was there were rumors about me that I'm giving birth. And I wasn't. My husband was like telling people like, no, I'm not well. And they're trying to take care of me. And he had to like take her from work. And they were like, what, she's, she's in labor now? Probably hardly any people have that experience. So there wasn't anything to compare it to. People could tell me, be grateful you had a baby. And on the other hand, it's like, well, no one wants to go through what I went through. It was, I thought I was gonna die. No one wants to go through that. So it's like, everything has to be validated in anyone's experience. Giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life. Sadly, the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead. As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics. Being Jewish also has me exploring Judaism's influence on the reproductive experience. However, I speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence. I'm your host, Hani Fingerer, and you're listening to the Happy Birthway Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Happy Birthway Podcast. I, as per tradition, I'm going to ask you if you can please rate and review the podcast and subscribe and follow and comment on my website where the podcast streams and also share it. Share it with just one friend this week, just one friend that this might be relevant to and just say to them, hey, this is awesome person. I'm kidding. You don't have to say that, but just say, hey, there's this great podcast that I think you will benefit from and just let them know because you might just change their life or if not, just, you know, make it better. Um, This episode, I am so excited to be interviewing Debbie Baum, who is like an internationally acclaimed singer, songwriter. She is originally from Britain and um, her accent is absolutely charming. She has made a smashing debut in the U.S. as an all-rising star. Her voice is powerful and full of emotion and positive energy with a smashing album recently released, multiple music videos, actress extraordinaire, and voice teacher. And by the way, she just disclosed to me that she is also classically trained in piano, as I am. And Dubby continues to amaze her audience every time anew. She is also the founder of the Brooklyn Girls Choir and currently a pre-med student too. What? Oh my gosh, Dubby, a pre-med? Yes. (laughs) I love that. I can't believe that you're interested in that. That's awesome. Okay, this is even better now. So um, I am so grateful for you to be on this podcast. You and I connect. I mean, I knew about you like way before you knew about me, but you and I connected over Instagram when you were doing those like live series and Zoom series. Yeah, that was during the height of Corona. (laughs) I know. And you are so innovative. Like that was so awesome. I feel like that really kept people's spirits up. It was great to see so many guests. And you honored me with uh, having me on one of those things. So that was fantastic. And, you know, I spoke about obstetrics and different things um, regarding that. And you had, you know, inserted some things about your birth experiences that I loved. And I think that our audience would love to hear about your experiences, um, having babies, being pregnant, postpartum, just being a mother. So welcome to the show, Debbie. Um, I'm so happy to have you and um, let's begin. All right. Thank you, honey. So yes, this today, what I'm going to talk about is something different that my audience don't get because, you know, 
um, what people know me is singing, and they don't actually know my, my, my life. I'm a mother, I had two kids, Baruch Hashem. I'm also a pre-med student. Because of all my experiences, I just wanted to go into the healthcare system and make things better as a Jewish woman. That's just amazing. Like, my goal is to be a doctor, Mr. Shem. Um, That's amazing. And when you say, you know, your experiences with the medical system, do you, are you referring specifically to birth? A birth, mainly. But I've also had other experiences with my kids. Um, so I do want to go into pediatrics, actually. I just want to say that it's interesting how turning into a mother, motherhood, oftentimes opens up like a new window in someone's life, like kind of opens up different places that someone never thought that they had in them. Kind of like for me, it was nursing. So um, I, I think that's just an interesting observation that you're kind of using, you know, those experiences that you had to explore a new part of yourself and, you know, self-actualize in this area. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I always wanted to go into the medical field since I'm like, I remember since I was eight years old, I used to read um, biology textbooks, just like a storybook. It was a novel for me. So cool. um, and I, ne- I didn't think I would do anything about it. Like I went to high school and everyone knew me for singing, singing, singing. So automatically I was already a singer since I'm 11 years old. I used to perform. Um, and then when I graduated, I, I did take some um, A-levels it's like a British kind of degree, associate degree um, in biology, but I didn't do anything with it. I got married, had my two kids, and, and then kind of after having my kids, it like awakened this dormant area inside me that always wanted to do something medical. So now um, I decided to go back to school. That's amazing. You're so busy with so much. So, wow, power to you. Mad respect for you, Debbie. Oh, thank you. Um, so do you want me to begin? Like, Yeah, just start. Let's hear. Let's hear. I'd love to hear the experiences you had that inspired you to also pursue medicine. But let's just hear everything. And I would love to, I think you mentioned um, something about singing or playing music during one of your births. So we just yeah. have to add that part, okay? <laughs> uh, I will. Okay, great. All right. So, so, so shoot, let's go. Okay, so I... I'm from Britain and I moved to America, to New York, um, exactly three months after my wedding. That was in 2016. Um, And I arrived, you know, newly married, three months after my wedding, and I became pregnant like straight away. And I had no clue. So many culture shocks. I I had no clue what I was getting into. Like I thought I'm ready, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was always the type of person, like I'm the youngest of 10 in my family. Mm. And my family always used to tell me like, oh my God, Dubby is like, she's always like, well, she never gets not well. Like you have everything easy. Like everyone used to just like tell me that I just have everything easy and I never used to get the flu and I was always in school. And like everyone just used to always tell me like my health system is like, Perfect. You, you had know? a top-notch immune system. Yeah. A smashing immune system, as you UK people say. Yeah. Everyone always told me, like, I have such a good immune system and nothing will ever happen to me and I'm going to have, like, the easiest births and, you know. Anyway, shock for everyone. It wasn't like that. <laughs> I became pregnant and immediately I was really sick. Mm. Like, the, the, the type of sick that I couldn't get out of my bed. I, it, I thought it was only going to last the first three months in pregnancy. 
that's what everyone says. Mm. But I actually lost it till the day I gave birth. The whole entire nine months of that pregnancy, I was constantly throwing up, really sick. Like I couldn't keep anything down me. Um, I was also, I, I should mention this because a very important part of my stories until now is that I was always very thin. I was like a really small size and I used to eat whatever I wanted. Nothing would ever phase me. I wouldn't gain weight. I was just like really thin and small and I became pregnant and I was till the fifth month. No one even knew I was pregnant because mm. I was just like constantly throwing up and I was just like this thin thing. I didn't even show and I was feeling horrible, especially being that I moved to a new country. Um, I was like with being sick, I was like really sad and like just homesick. I just wanted to go back to London and I couldn't travel because when you move to America, you have to make a green card. And part of the process of making a green card is they don't let you out of the US until you have your red card, it's called, like a card that you're allowed out of the country. It took eight months until I finally got the card that I can travel. Oh my so gosh. So that it means the first eight months of my pregnancy, I was stuck in America, no family. My whole family live in London. I was probably crying almost every day. I mean, who wouldn't be? You had three major life changes, like yeah. all within such a short span. You got married, you moved to a completely new country that is unfamiliar, and now you're pregnant and just like navigating a whole new healthcare system as well because it's very different than the UK. Oh yeah, big time. Um, happens to be, I was very happy with the healthcare system here because I don't know if you know London, but they have something called NHS and no one has private insurance there. So everyone's under the same care. Mm-hmm. I felt like when I was here and I went to my doctor's appointments, I used the Borough Park, uh, the mm-hmm. Schwartz Group mm-hmm. in, in Borough Park, mm-hmm. OBGYN. The baby factory. They, and, and yeah, and happens to be, I was very happy. They were really nice to me. That's like I, I never got such care in London and I was like, I was actually super impressed. Awesome. Um, so that was like a good thing. I tried working, like I even, I, I taught in um, Leave Bisiakov in Flatbush for mm-hmm. six weeks. Great school. But it wasn't working for me. I was throwing up in between classes. I kept on running to the bathroom mm. and I couldn't stand still. Like I kept on thinking I'm gonna faint every second. I was like really sick with my pregnancy. I, I don't know if you had too many friends too and that could be so isolating on top of everything. Definitely, definitely. Like it was all combined in one. Mm. Um, and it came to the eighth month and I really wanted to go to London to visit my parents because I knew I'm having the baby in America And I knew once I have the baby, I'm kind of stuck here because who travels with a newborn? Mm -hmm. And I was determined to go to London. I got my red card in the eighth month. (laughs) And I was like, I am going to London to visit my family. It was Hanukkah time. And I really wanted to go. And my doctor said, I'm so sorry, you cannot travel because my water levels were so low because of all my throwing up. And he was like, there is no way you are going to London in your eighth month with such low water levels. It's dangerous. Like, you, you really should be hospitalized now on an IV till, mm. you, get, till you give birth. That's what he was telling me. Um, and I was like, I didn't gain a lot of weight at all. I was mm-hmm. like very small. Um, and I was so determined. So I called someone up, like a, someone in Borough Park who specializes in these things. Like you asked... I can't even remember what her name is because it was such a long time ago. But um, I asked her, what could I do? My water levels are really low and I want to travel. They just helped me. 
So she said if you drink a lot of seltzer, like drink a bottle of seltzer a day, like a liter of seltzer a day, and in a one week, your water levels will be all the way up. Mm. And I hated salsa because it's like not a British drink at all. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's really funny you say that because I have a friend from the UK that also I offered it to her one time. She's like, I, I really, this is just strange. It's like a US thing. But I got her on board, you know, a little grape juice and some salsa is so good. And I drank salsa. Like my husband used to watch me drink it. And like he was, he felt so bad for me because <laughs> I like hated every gulp of it. <laughs> and I was like, I drank salsa for a whole week straight. I went back to the OBGYN. I said, please check my water levels. I want to travel. They checked it and they were like, oh my God, it's all the way up. Like your hmm. water is fine. Like, how do you do that? So were they checking it through ultrasound? It was via ultrasound. Yeah. Okay. So they were checking your amniotic fluid levels, like where the baby was swimming in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. And they were like, oh my God, it literally, I think it went up to a 12 or something. And it was like, it, it was down at, I don't know, like a three maybe. <laughs> like yeah. It was... And interesting you say that. So that's cool that you know this, of course, because you're medically oriented. Um, it's We call it an AFI, amniotic fluid index, where they measure the four pockets of fluid and they combine it. Um, so yeah, an AFI under five is considered, you know, abnormally low fluids and, uh, you know, warrants further monitoring and somewhere between five and 15 is the normal range. So that's yeah. really and cool. And I was like a three, mm. so. Yeah, and then you were a 13, which is awesome. And then, yeah, and and I had the clear to travel. I went to London for Hanukkah with my husband, mm. um, highly pregnant, like, <laughs> and I like was just, it was so good for me, but it was horrible as well because I was growing up on the plane. I threw up. <laughs> everywhere in London like literally I was trying to be like my happy self and show that I am fine but my body just wasn't fine I was and you're I so was, bubbly you have so much enthusiasm in in life so oh, thank you I can just oh I could just imagine how I was like was. trying to really make it the best time ever like a, it's called like a baby moon mm -hmm. <laughs> you know yeah mm -hmm. And I just literally, like, my, my family would see, like, I was sitting down by a meal and suddenly I would run out and run to the bathroom and throw up. And mm. it was just, like, it wasn't fun, like, the traveling. But I was so happy I did it because I just saw everyone. And on top of all that, I fell down three times, oh. highly pregnant, in on the street. One of the times that Sola actually had to come. Um, mm. I My buddy was just, like, weird, like... I was clumsy. Like, <laughs> no, no, that's actually not uncommon because your whole center of gravity and balance changes since you have a lot of, you know, m more more stuff in the middle of your body <laughs> and your core. Yeah, no. So that's really actually not uncommon for some for for some people. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I didn't go for very long. We went for one week. Mm -hmm. I traveled back, and I was like, okay, I just have to be back in my safe space at home because, like. Things were just happening to me there. Like, it, I just, you know, didn't feel so safe it, going into the ninth month. Mm -hmm. um, I literally came back. Um, it was like a week before going into the ninth month. Mm -hmm. And I was still feeling very sick. Now, the good thing was, because I was new in America, I didn't, I wasn't yet known for my singing case. So I didn't have, like, gigs booked and all that. So I didn't mm -hmm. have to turn anything down, which was mm -hmm. great. Because... Mm -hmm. I would have probably felt crushed if I would have had to turn down gigs because I'm sick. Mm -hmm. So that was the good thing is that I didn't, 
have to turn anything down. I had one big show in the summer when I was sick. I don't know how I pulled it off. I just managed between running to the bathroom. Um, and uh, I love how you're always looking at the bright side of things. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, I ended up having him two weeks early, my baby boy. Mm-hmm. Which um, was still full term. It was full term. Just two yeah. weeks before your estimated due date. Yeah, like people, people go to 38 weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Any any time 37 weeks and on, you're considered quote unquote full term and baby is likely to, you know, to do great. So I was just about 37 weeks and mm-hmm. um, I just remember like I used to listen to all sorts of like probably podcasts and like kind of prep to help me like get ready mentally for the birth and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember like them saying that you get this nesting feeling and then you know you're going in and it was really actually weird because it was like on a Friday and I was sick the entire pregnancy. I, n- I probably didn't make Shabbos meals and I didn't cook supper for like nine months. And that Friday I told my husband, I'm making Shabbos. Mm. <laughs> and I like cooked an entire Shabbos. I made a great challenge and I was like, okay, something's up. <laughs> um, but because I was felt sick the whole time, I didn't know the difference if I'm in pain or not. Mm. So be, like, contraction-wise, I was getting the whole time like cramps the entire pregnancy. So it yeah. wasn't like a strange thing for me. Yeah. When so you're dehydrated, sure. that's also more common. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I didn't, I didn't really know the feelings. And especially first-time mother, like, who knows? No one knows what it's like. Mm-hmm. No one knows the feeling. They, they, they teach you what contractions are like, but no one knows what it really mm-hmm. is until you have it. Yep. Um, so ended up being on Shabbos morning. I woke up 6 o'clock in the morning, and my water broke like in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> this only happens to, like, I don't know, I think 5% of people, by the I way. I know, and everyone was telling me, oh, water doesn't break like in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> Joke's on them. <laughs> and it broke, like, woo. Um, and my husband quickly, like, we went to our rov that lived, like, down the road. Mm-hmm. literally so he just asked like how do we do this on Shabbos like do I go in and all that and he's like yes call your doula I had a doula that mm-hmm. I hired because being that I was alone my, my parents live in London mm-hmm. my mother would usually accompany me but she wasn't there mm-hmm. um, so I, he called my doula my doula came over and was like okay you gotta go into hospital now and that was 7 o'clock in the morning um and she was like, you got to go in right now. And I started feeling a lot of pain, contractions. I was like sitting on the floor. Um, and I just remember looking at all my Shabbos food I made. It was on the hot plate. And I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, we took a taxi to Maimonides. Um, and I was like in a lot of pain. I was sure I'm going to come to the hospital. And they're going to say I'm like open six or seven. Like mm-hmm. I was sure. Yeah. because my contractions were very close apart and it was like super painful. Um, I arrived to the hospital at 7.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. They checked me straight away and they said, I'm only open two. <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was like, this is not happening. Like I was just in too much pain. I also had that thing in my head that all probably most first mothers have is like I am not having epidural (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. like 
you want to do not it? most there's actually very split i just did a poll on my story oh yeah very split half and half yeah so i was this like i'm not having epidural i want it natural i was like determined to do it the natural way well especially coming from the uk where the epidural rate is oh, way yeah. lower so you probably just grew up hearing that definitely and I wanted to be like this superhero mom. I thought it's being superhero. <laughs> um, although we're already superhero, just giving birth is already. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you know. growing the human. <laughs> and I, uh, my doula was amazing. She was like helping me do exercises and all different stuff. And I was like in another world, another zone. I was just in pain the whole time. And they said, because my water broke, obviously I'm in pain because there's no cushioning or anything. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's like, the pain is more mm -hmm. um it kept on going on the entire day i'll fast forward it was like five o'clock in the afternoon already mm -hmm. you're talking about from 7 30 in the morning it was mm -hmm. five o'clock in the afternoon and then they were like okay we'll put you in a delivery room because till then i wasn't in a room mm -hmm. um we'll put you in the delivery room and like i would think i was open like four Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I was like, um, so it was like moving very slowly. They put me in the delivery room, and it was like, I was just like, the pain was, yeah, just want to jump out of your skin. <laughs> and then my doula was telling me she thinks I should take epidural because of the amount of pain I was in. It just wasn't, I wasn't coping. Mm -hmm. So I agreed, took the epidural, um, and surprisingly like i felt good but then the pain came back like a half hour later it just like was back to where it was mm -hmm. so i guess on me the epidural didn't really work for some reason yeah um about 10 percent of people it doesn't work yeah so i was the lucky 10 percent <laughs> you were the five percent with the water breaking the 10 percent with the epidural <laughs> and and the few percent in the world that is sick the entire pregnancy Aww. and throws up as I told you, as a girl, everyone said, everything is perfect for me. And I think it was like an her or something <laughs> because nothing was perfect. Um, ended up being about 9.30 at night. It was very long, the labor. 9.30 at night, they said I was open 10 mm -hmm. and I'm ready to push. Um, and I was like very excited because, <clears throat> sorry. I was very excited because it was a long day. <laughs> yeah. And so you, after 30 minutes of the epidural, you were back into feeling I was the back pain. into pain. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did use like my like methods of listening to some calming music mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and all that, but not so much. Like I didn't really know what to do with myself. It was the first birth. I had no clue. My doula was amazing, and I would tell everyone, like, if you can get a doula, get one, because mm -hmm. it was a, it was like a lifesaver for me. Like, she just knew what to do. She knew how to comfort me, everything. She just knew what to say to me. It mm -hmm. was just, like, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, not And, like, 9.30 at night, they said, I'm ready to push. They said I should wait, though. They wanted a doctor to come in to check that everything's fine. I think they took another ultrasound or something to check that the baby's okay. Mm. Um I think I started pushing at 10 o'clock at night, mm -hmm. to be precise. Um, and suddenly, like at 10, like a half hour later, 10.40, they were like, okay, you gotta stop pushing. And I was like, what's happening? And suddenly like three other doctors and midwives, like they came running in the room. <laughs> and I was like, 
was happening and my doula didn't want to tell me. They just all had very worried faces. Um, ended up being was the cord was around my baby's neck three times. Mm. And they didn't, they were scared that if I push it, it will be dangerous. Mm-hmm. So they told me not to push. And the doctor said, okay, we're going to cut you because mm. we have to do this carefully. There's no way the baby's going to come out alive otherwise. So I was like, just, I don't know. I was like, just, okay, just do anything. But please, one request. I want the doctor to, to do it. And I want the doctor also to sew up the stitches because I know like if students do it, it will be messed up. Okay, so want to backtrack for a few things um, about this. So firstly, with the cord being wrapped around the neck, they were seeing on the tracing that, you know, baby was showing, there are different signs we could see that it's very likely that the cord's wrapped around the neck, but just um, people should know that we can't actually tell, even on ultrasound, we cannot accurately tell until the baby's actually out, which you knew after the baby was out that this was what they were suspecting. And um, yeah, and when you said, when he said cut, some people think cut means a c-section so you were saying cutting an episiotomy because it was kind of an urgent situation where usually it's it's not warranted to do an episiotomy very rarely would someone need it but in this case because your baby was in distress it was kind of the choice between getting an episiotomy or having to have a c-section because we need to get that baby out exactly yeah it was an episiotomy yeah and the doctor was an israeli doctor and i remember like there was there's tons of doctors in the Bar Park OBGYN. This specific one, I just never got along with him because he's Israeli and I'm British, and it just didn't go. <laughs> so I told him, I was like very, you know, like when you're in, like having your baby, you just say whatever you want and you you yell it. <laughs> and I'm usually like, my my personality is very calm. Like I never get into tempers. I'm just not that type of person. But then I was. And I yelled and I said, I do not let your students touch me because I saw he had two students with him. And I was like, I don't let your students touch me. So he said, yeah, 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 don't worry. They're just looking, they're just observing. Um, They cut quite deep and they managed to get the baby out and the baby was like blue and not breathing and not Mm. crying, nothing. And I was like really worried. Yeah, But they yeah um my doula's face was like white <laughs> and i was just like really scared but then Brahsham, they managed they literally it was wrapped three times around his neck wow playing jump rope with the cord that's what we call it mm-hmm. three times they managed to unwrap and then like Brahsham afterwards the baby let out a scream and Brahsham, it was good and guess what who sewed up my stitches it was the student <gasps> And yeah, did you protest? Like, did you say anything? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But by then the baby was already in my arms, skin to skin. And I was just like, you know, just trying to look at the moment of holding a baby in my hands. And they just didn't listen to me. Oh, that must be so violating. Oh. Oh my God. I felt like, what are they doing? Like, seriously. Um, so yeah, the student sewed it up. I didn't know what the after effects would be, but, um, Barakshan had my baby there because he was in distress first. Mm-hmm. And I spoke to my mother at that second. And the weirdest thing was my mother was like, you know, Dubby, you were born just like that. You had oh. the cord around your neck three times. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was just really funny that my mother said that about me. Mm. Um, his birth, 
I would say it was fine, the birth, all in all. I would say the pregnancy was worse than the birth, mm-hmm. if I could look at it. It was like a very hard pregnancy, but the birth was okay, besides for the last part. Being that afterwards, I, I was discharged from the hospital like a regular, like two days later. And then a week after I gave birth, my mother came to the US. She came for two weeks to help me, like literally be my nurse. That's great. Um, and a week after I gave birth, I couldn't stand, I couldn't sit, I couldn't eat. I was lying in bed just in pain. And my husband was like, I don't know what is going on, but this is not normal. Yeah. I was just like, it was a week after. It was already like a day before the breast. You know what we call an episiotomy sometimes, and there are different depths. So it sounds like you really had a deep one. We call it a V section. Oh yeah, (laughs) a vaginal birth. It's a joke. It's it's not a medical. Well, they literally cut me. So yeah, yeah. (laughs) we call it a V section. You had a vaginal delivery, but you had a nice deep episiotomy. That really is something you know to recover from. And again, that's why we really try to stay away from episiotomies. They used to be a lot more common. In this situation, it sounds like it was definitely warranted. Yeah, they had no choice. Yeah, but it's wow that that is that can be extremely extremely painful and i didn't know what was going on because i had like you know it was the day before the breast everyone was very excited and i was just i couldn't i i I literally my mother would bring me food and i just didn't eat it i couldn't go to the bathroom i couldn't stand i couldn't sit i i couldn't even lie down in bed it was just i was just like in pain Mm. and my husband said you're going into the hospital right now it was 12 o'clock at night, and he, Baruch Hashem, my baby, was very good that first week. Mm-hmm. Like, he was just being an angel, like, just sleeping. At least that. Um, yeah. So I didn't really have to worry about that. So he, my husband called a taxi. We went into hospital, and with excruciating pain, I literally felt like I was in labor again. And they, they checked me, and they said the stitches were messed up. And they had to like undo stitches and redo. <laughs> so that was my experience that night in the hospital. And my baby was so good, Baruch Hashem. Like he was just sitting in the duna the entire night. I was there for like twelve hours, and Aww. I didn't even I didn't even nurse him. So you were <laughs> back at just, the hospital for this. I was back at the hospital. Oh. Yeah. And I was so upset with that doctor. Um, my husband made sure to tell him, and I like. I made a call. I made a call to the OBGYN because they had to check me after I was discharged from the hospital the second time. Mm. Um, and I said I want to specifically see this doctor that messed mm-hmm. up because I I want to give it to him. <laughs> yeah, and you know what we call this like a. a- post debrief where this is an excellent idea. You knew this intuitively, but I highly encourage anyone who has questions and who had a traumatic birth to do that, to make a post, you know, a postpartum appointment with the specific doctor, get feedback and just process the story. Yeah. I'm very that type of person. I'm very assertive and I talk it out with people. Mm-hmm. I don't just leave things hanging. Mm-hmm. So I was I came in and I was still in a lot of pain, but it was so much better because they redid the stitches that weren't good. Mm -hmm. Um, And he checked me and he's like, he was so sorry. Like you had to see how he was apologizing. Like Mm -hmm. he didn't look Israeli. (laughs) 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 Disclaimer, disclaimer. I I don't mean to insult any Israelis. It was just that specific doctor. But but I'm sure that that was also like healing for you in a way. Yeah. 
because he he wasn't being obnoxious and just like not apologizing he actually was apologizing so it made me comfortable but again i know why he was apologizing he didn't want me to sue him right (laughs) (laughs) anyway my recovery was fine after that it was just i was like drugged up drugged Mm -hmm. like taking the highest painkillers prescribed ones every four hours i a lot of times i felt numb almost because i was on so much so many painkillers but when i wasn't on painkillers the pain was so bad i just had to take it so yeah it was just like that um i had a very traumatic time postpartum with my baby afterwards like past six weeks um physically my baby was not doing well Mm. he was literally like throwing up Everything I did in pregnancy, he was doing. (laughs) He was very, like, he didn't take formula. I tried, even though I wanted to nurse, I, it, like, I was trying formula because he just wasn't taking anything down. We tried everything. He was at 10 months old. He only weighed six pounds. Mm, Wow. Yeah. Were they calling it failure to thrive? They said because he was born early sometimes the digestive system is not developed mm-hmm. properly yeah and because his digestive system wasn't mature he couldn't swallow food yeah. like everything just came back out yeah and that's the i want to highlight the importance of really going to term as much as possible it's beyond a lot of people's control obviously but this is this is true where babies who are born later on they do have even if the baby's at you know at um 37 weeks we call them term and they do pretty well you know breathing and everything they can have a little bit more difficulty with feeding yeah and sleeping and just they just still have to right. develop a little so bit yeah more. it wasn't in my control i mean when i had the baby early two weeks early it was just like i don't yeah, know yeah yeah no, <laughs> my no. water broke <laughs> yeah no he wanted to come i'm, I'm yeah, yeah like i said you can't control it but this is unfortunately sometimes you have to deal with that so i'm sorry yeah so he was in and out of the hospital a lot my my baby he was once there like an entire night because he was seriously not doing well like he looked like a floppy thing white Mm. he wasn't he really wasn't doing well i remember like it was really scary because i was very busy at the time my name was going out and I was getting hired at a lot of concerts and I was actually in the Rachel's Place show I don't know if you're familiar with it but uh, I was yeah an, sure yeah so I was an actress in the Rachel's Place show and it was one night I was at practice and my husband didn't want to scare me over the phone but he's like I think you should come home from practice at the mm. time my baby was um 11 months old mm. and I I came home and I I see my baby, like, the whole house. I'm not exaggerating, but the entire floor... We lived in a two-bedroom apartment. The whole floor was covered in throw-up from my baby. Splattered all over. He was throwing up volatile, meaning it was coming out, like, in bursts. Like, it wasn't regular throw-up. And he he wasn't even crying. He had no tears. He wasn't crying. And we called Hatsala. I told my husband, like, oh, my God, call Hatsala. <laughs> like, yeah. he just called me home from practice so calmly. And we called Hatsala. Hatsala, like, rushed us into hospital. And he, there was his, all his veins closed up. It was really scary. Mm. Um, they, 
pricked him all over. I just remember that seeing them do these horrible things like squeezing all his muscles, his bones trying to get blood out. Um, it was horrible just to get, a, they wanted to get a line of IV into him. Mm. Um, anyway, he was there for a while and on IV and we managed to hydrate him again and he was doing so much better afterwards. He started smiling and, but I just remember that night was very traumatic. I literally thought like he's going, it, it, he, he looked like almost in the other world. It was oh. very scary. Um, we went to an allergist and then the allergist said he's allergic to everything. <laughs> yeah. He was like, literally the only thing we could give him was one type of formula. I don't even remember what it's called anymore, but that was the only thing he took down. It was literally one thing that we kept on giving him. Um, until he was 15 months old, he was not eating solids. He was just on this formula. And every week we went to the pediatrician for a weekly visit to check his weight and Baruchem, he was growing and he was gaining weight. And like we kept on going back to the allergist and by two years old, he was clear from allergies. He had no more allergies. He was allowed to eat everything. He was a good chubby, nice um, weight two-year-old Baruch Hashem after all that trauma. So yeah. that was amazing that all the allergies went away because a lot of times people have allergies for life yeah like, i'm happy he, you were able to find the cause that that's you know it's it's good yeah. to find the cause of these issues not everyone is able to so i'm glad you were able to yeah like they did say the main thing was because his digestive system was very weak he mm -hmm. just couldn't handle it and then they said it you know a baby grows that everything grows with them so his digestive system just matured mm -hmm. um and he was like allergic to like peanuts and all these things and then when he was two years old like he could eat everything I remember giving him like a packet of Bamba oh, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> so that was great. So Baruch Hashem, my two-year-old was healthy and because of all the crazy things I went through with doctors, I'm not going to go into detail, but I had this urge that I want to become a firm female pediatrician and be nice and helpful and just be nice to the mother that's going through so much. You know, sometimes these people don't realize and they're just trying to be like, book doctors but they're not actually using their care and uh what's it called like bedside manner mm -hmm. as you call it yeah so that definitely pushed me to go into the medical field mm -hmm. um i was on like a regular birth control at the time and the reason why i'm saying it it's important for my next part of the story mm -hmm. is i was on a regular birth control pill mm-hmm um, until I was ready, actually. Like, I really wanted him to have a, sis uh, a sister or a brother. I wanted him to have a sibling. So mm -hmm. even though I had a very crazy, traumatic pregnancy and birth, I was determined, like, I want to have another kid just for him yeah. to have company. Yeah. So when he turned 18 months old, I went off birth control. It mm -hmm. was just the regular pills. And I became pregnant, which is not to take for granted because I know how many mm -hmm. struggle with infertility and I was so thankful and literally like, it was like, wow, Baruch Hashem, you know? Mm -hmm. But I was terrified. What is this pregnancy gonna take? <laughs> yeah. um, I did not wanna be ill because it was in my prime time, like concerts and singing mm -hmm. and just like loving my life. And, um, and I'm gonna mention as well, an important point. I was 
like I managed to lose my baby weight. I went back to my regular size. Afterwards, I was like nice and happy with myself. Um, and then when I became pregnant with a second one, um, I felt good actually. Like the pregnancy was not hard, That's surprisingly. Great. And I was like, wow, maybe this can happen to people like the second time. It doesn't have to be the same as the first time. Mm -hmm. But one thing was happening is my weight started. I started gaining so much weight, like crazy amount of weight. I remember just coming every few weeks for a checkup to the OBGYN and they were like, what is happening to you? I was just like putting on a ton of weight. And I was, I started off at 130 pounds and um, 5'4". I was like a really thin adult. And I started gaining a lot of weight. I literally, by the by full term, when I was in my ninth month, I went up by um, 80 pounds, mm-hmm. which was not normal. And no one knew why it was happening. They were just like, maybe it's hormonal because I was keeping a very normal lifestyle, just like eating normally. Um, and in my ninth month, I had a really crazy story that happened. Like I was literally um if from one day to the next i went for a check-in and they were like oh my god something's wrong your heart rate is way too high your blood pressure is way too high all my vitals were like crashing and they rushed me into hospital and like a middle of the day in my ninth month it was three weeks before i gave birth and i called my husband from work i'm like you have to come right now he came out of work and i was literally like oh my god just can't even explain but like literally I was on oxygen and everything was just like not good my entire body was failing Mm. and I didn't know what was happening with myself and I just remember like a lot of a lot of it was like it's very blacked out to me I don't remember a lot of it because I was literally blacking out but I just remember at one point I had like an entire team of people just staring over my head and I was like really nervous I just had beeping and didn't know what was going on, but basically they said like, they have no clue what's happening to me. They thought maybe it's preeclampsia. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did a lot of tests and everything and it wasn't preeclampsia. And I had so many checks and I was like healthy, like beforehand, I had no problems, nothing. And they were just like trying to figure it out. I ended up being in the hospital for an entire week, hospitalized. Mm-hmm. It was like so horrible. They put me in a ward where other ladies already gave birth. Mm. And I was here before birth, just not well. And it was like the worst feeling hearing babies cry and you're like highly pregnant, not well. You don't know what's happening to you. So <laughs> that yeah, was like one thing. triggering, yeah. Yeah, it was very triggering. Um, It just a few times I had these blackouts, like when everything just like literally was suddenly everything was beeping and the whole like people came flying in and my heart rate and my blood pressure were very dangerous and they didn't know what was going on. I had like uh, all types of tests like for my heart and like just everything you can think of cardiologists coming in and this type of doctor and that type of doctor and they were like they think I'm going to have to have a C-section because they won't be able to tolerate labor yeah they were very worried um but i was too early i was like it was only um 35 weeks and Mm -hmm. they 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 really wanted me to go till full time they were like maybe 36 weeks they weren't they weren't confident that they also said the baby is very small 
So um, they weren't confident about it. So anyway, that was like a very long story. Mm-hmm. But I think we should save it for another episode because oh gosh, that yes. is like a whole story on its own. Yes. What happened that week? Yes. Um, it was a very traumatic end of pregnancy. My birth was traumatic. The whole postpartum from that ninth month was just a roller coaster that led me to like, I had fertility problems afterwards, things I would never imagine would have happened to me in my life. Mm. my whole life changed around from that ninth month of my second baby and it was weird because I had such a good pregnancy and then in the ninth month this happened so I'm gonna finish off just by saying that like pregnancy can bring so many unexpected things the hormones do and bodies change and like everything can literally change yeah that nothing is unexpected that's what all the doctors were saying like you whoever I was dealing with was like you just have to expect the unexpected because fact is it just changes you and like there's yeah I literally like if you know me now I'm like still a hundred pounds more than I used to be mm-hmm. for no explained reason it was just all from pregnancy and there's also a lot that happened that I'm not going to go into detail now but basically I'm going to finish off with that, that there could be a sequel mm-hmm. to what, yeah. hap- what, what ha- actually happened by my second baby. Yeah. That I was like, literally, um, yeah, it yeah. was horrible. Wow. I, I'm sorry. And yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to happen for everyone, but it is. No, it doesn't. I told you I'm very, I'm very unique. I'm like the 5% yeah. in the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that the lesson from here is that for those people who are also experiencing major life, body, psycho-emotional changes, this is all, uh, you know, it, it's just, it should be validating for those of you here who have experienced that. And, um, you know, it, it yeah, it, it's hard. It's hard. It's like you just lose a lot of control in your life that you used to have. Um, so, yeah, it, having kids is so unpredictable. It's like we yeah. say, it's like saying Nasa Vinishma, you know. The worst part, I think, of me being in the hospital that week was people kept on, there were rumors about me that I'm giving birth. And I wasn't. Mm. And it was like, oh, my God. My husband was like telling people like, no, I'm not well. And they're trying to take care of me. And he had to like take her from work and they were like, what, she's, she's in labor now? And I was like, not in that space. So yeah. that was like, you know, it, cause the experience is probably hardly any people have that experience. So there wasn't anything to compare it to kind of. Yeah. So, and for anyone know. going through any pregnancy complications, it can be isolating because if all the people around you are having just nice, straightforward births, then, and, and as a labor and delivery nurse, people just think, oh, I'm in the happiest place in the world. And yes, you know, Bar Hashem, you had another baby um, and that was wonderful after the fact. And, you know, you possibly had complications after the fact too. We'll, we'll do another episode about that. But at the same time, it's intense and people can have a lot of health issues and problems. And I think people surrounding who are not, who don't encounter things like this, you know, just friends, family, they just kind of dismiss it. Oh, but you had a healthy baby or, but you're pregnant and they, right. And it can yeah. be very, very isolating. Like, I, I see it all the time, you know, people all 100%. Time. Yeah. It's like people could tell me, like, well, be grateful you had a baby. And on the other hand, it's like, well, no one wants to go through what I went through. It yeah. was, I thought I was going to die. Like, 
you know, no one wants to go through that. So it's like definitely have everything has to be validated in anyone's experience. Yeah. And you can be thrilled and grateful and joyous with the birth of a baby um, or, or just not be in that headspace in the beginning because you're processing everything. And that's OK, too. And you can have those polarizing feelings. It's OK to have that. It's OK to be really happy, but also have that other conflicting feeling of just be really scared, sad, isolated, angry, resentful, um, mourning, a loss. So because it is a loss, like you just you want to have that healthy, normal pregnancy that everyone around you is having. You don't want to be worried about a C-section. You don't want to be worried about, God forbid, like you said, losing your life. So um, yeah, and even dealing with with the body image changes and everything like that. I'm very, um, you know, I'm very focused on health at every size. And unfortunately, the diet industry has caused and social media has caused a lot of body dysmorphia and expectations of what you're meant to look like or be like yeah i'm gonna give like a big point especially being that i'm a singer um it's a very much a culture like when you're a singer and you're on stage you have to look pretty and mm. be like really small and wear this thin gown and i am not like that and everyone knows that and i try a lot of times to tell people you know you can be a different size and still look good and maybe look better than other people and be a star on a stage. And it's nothing to do with size. And I feel like the culture is very much like, oh, I'm going to be on stage. I have to lose weight. I have to be thin. Mm -hmm. And it's a whole nother topic anyway. But (laughs) But I'm sure people love you the more for it, Debbie, because you exude that confidence regardless of body size. And we need that. We need role models like you from Jewish role models like you to show girls that whatever body size is okay and also i know what it's like to be thin as i told you my whole life i was fine so that's hard too yeah i know what it's like and i know what it's like on the other side of the coin so you know yeah yeah so we're anyway i have like a whole story about my second birth but and that involves actually the nice ending of I told you that I listened to some Broadway music when she was born. Yeah, that was so nice. Okay, so we're gonna cliffhanger here. We're gonna save the music part and everything else, your next birth for another a untold story. Oh my gosh, yes, for another episode. I'm not gonna be able to have it follow immediately after this one, but okay. you know, stay tuned People everyone because it's gonna come out it's gonna come out, you know, a few episodes down the road. So maybe, maybe next year. I don't know. Uh, no, no, oh well next year yeah because we're coming up to january so yeah oh oh okay <laughs> i'm excited to hear i'm sure you're validating many people who have experienced that themselves or are, are currently in the process or have family or friends that are experiencing complications so thank you for giving that validation and for lending the recognition that that this happens yeah you're welcome and, and you're on the other side you got through it and you know you're strong for that Oh, yeah. I'm definitely stronger and better than before. Yeah. And that's another real lesson that I like to highlight in stories like yours, where you can do hard things. Like, these are hard things. These are difficult things. But with the right support, everyone should know that you can do these hard things and you can get through them. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't choose my life to be different. That's that's huge. And and, and these experiences, you're taking them and turning them into something positive and wonderful to be able to help other people. So, yeah. Also, never, never tease your sisters and brothers that they're always going to be fine. Because uh. <laughs> I'm the youngest of 10. And I'm telling you, the teases that I used to get. 
we, we can never take health for granted at <laughs> anyone. I used to take my health for granted too and my children's health and then I've yeah, and then I've encountered some medical issues myself and with my children and yeah, you can never take health for granted. So thank you for that reminder as well. Thank you, Dobby, for joining us here. I just love your energy. You have such positive, Aww, wonderful energy. You. So thank you. And then for um, anyone who loves music and especially you are a uh, Orthodox Jewish performer, which I think is so important. I support that even more so because you are choosing to uh, stick to your values, stay within your values and only perform for a female audience. So that greatly... Yeah. And my husband and I write the songs together. Wow. So. But that greatly narrows your reach, even though your talent is the same talent as mainstream artists. So I encourage everyone to go check out your website and your Instagram handle. And can you tell us um, what they are here? And then I will put them in the episode show notes as of well. Of course. So the main thing is my music is everywhere on Spotify, on Apple Music, on Amazon, YouTube, wherever you want. Just type up my name, Dubby Bam. I spell Dubby like in Harry Potter, D-O-B-B-Y. <laughs> so wherever you're listening to this podcast, everyone, basically, you're going to also be able to find Dubby. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And also, I have a YouTube channel that you could subscribe to. Nice. Also, under my name, Dubby Bam, I have music videos there. And my Instagram is also the same name, Dubby Bam. D-O-B-B-Y-B-A-U-M. Okay, great. And um, I look forward to having you again soon, Dubby. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much for having me here. It was an honor. Thanks for tuning into the Happy Birthway Podcast. Head over to Yolwedit Academy on Instagram to continue the conversation. You'll find the link in the episode show notes, as well as links to any additional resources, products, and services mentioned here. If you love listening to this show, you can help it grow by sharing it with your friends and rating and reviewing it. To stay in the loop when new episodes are released, make sure to subscribe. Remember that your health needs are unique and require individualized medical advice. The podcast is not a replacement, and some of the information may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances. My mission is to educate you so that you can confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are simply not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience.